0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Self-Agency Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda, and this is a space where we explore, discover, and share tools, techniques, and wisdom to help you build and maintain a sense of agency. All right, welcome everyone. I'm really, really excited for today's guest because it kind of serendipitously happened where... She had the courage and the vulnerability to reach out. And that is one thing that I really, really admire in people when they see something that resonates and they say, "Yep, yeah, I want to be a part of that. And then they take that initiative and make it happen. So here we are. And I think I'm going to learn as much as everyone listening today. And that's also just as exciting. So Sarah, thank you so much for being here. We've got Sarah Menlove health coaching on the line and ready to dive in. So what we'll start with, Sarah, is just more so who are you? What is it that you do? I'm so intrigued about this intuitive eating side of things and this embodiment that you speak to. So I would love to know a little bit more about who you are, how you found yourself here, and then we'll just keep diving into it.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, firstly. it's really is an honour to be here and, and share this with you and your listeners. Um, yeah, so as you've said, my name is Sarah Menlove and I run my business, Sarah Menlove Health Coaching, but the main focus and work that I do in the world is body image and intuitive eating coaching, meaning I help predominantly women at this stage find freedom in their bodies, freedom with food, and ultimately freedom in their lives. And has been a it's been a real journey that's got me to this place. It certainly hasn't always been the way that I've interacted with my own body or with food in the past. I come from a personal training background, worked in gyms for a number of years, competed in triathlon at age group level for New Zealand and found myself in a really, I suppose when I look back on it, destructive place around my relationship with food and my body where I was highly restrictive with food cut out food groups went on this quest to lose weight and perfect my body and through the gym scene and then took that into triathlon which as any of you know who have done half Ironman Mm -hmm. Ironman triathlon racing is a very endurance focused sport that takes a lot of time and I put so much pressure on myself to be lean and be fit and be a certain body fat percentage within the sport that I lost my period for four years, I Mm. sustained a stress fracture, as unfortunately many female athletes do, fell into the the female athlete triad and ended up, yeah, my body really breaking down, realizing from that point that what I'd been doing and the way I'd been treating myself and treating my body and, and interacting in the fitness world was actually not healthy at all, even though everyone that I talked to and the way people interacted with me was like, oh, you look so fit, you look so healthy, what are you doing? Um, getting all of this poly- positive encouragement when both internally and externally, my, my my mindset and my emotional and social well-being and my physical health, none of them were actually healthy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what brought me to do the work that I'm doing in the world now and to share this message of of holistic health and also, helping women to break free from this trap of um, focusing entirely on their physical external appearance in terms of, mm-hmm. of weight loss and size as being the measure of their worth.
0: Oh my goodness. I resonate with so much of what you just said because and not even in the fact of having to be a high-level athlete But I just think that there's so much in what you said that so many people have experienced to some degree. There's so much in that because when I think back to my own experience that got me into nutrition and into yoga and into that side of things, I guess, was that relationship that I had with my body. And it was so similar in that I was always trying to perfect and change and manipulate my body to be what I thought it should be Mm -hmm. and hearing you say all of this I'm like oh this conversation is going to be so good (laughs) oh yes so can you share the moment that you knew okay something isn't right I can't keep going the way that I'm going and I'm going to make this shift was it one moment or was it a buildup of moments what did that look like for you
1: uh, well, I guess there was a lot of moments when I didn't want to admit <laughs> that something wasn't right mm-hmm. because you don't go four years without a period um, not knowing that that's happening. So there was a a, a lot of denial. I suppose The mo- the forced moment was really like when we talk about the universe giving you a smack in the face to yeah. make you listen when it's been trying to speak to you through your body mm-hmm. and through different ways for so long was. Yeah, it was really when I was training for a uh, 70.3 half Ironman on the Sunshine Coast and I was in the midst of training for that and got what I thought was a niggle in my hip, which turned out, um, which took a couple of months actually to diagnose that it was a stress fracture, um, wow. the kind of thing that no athlete wants to hear. And so I walked into the sports doctor's office that day and, and came out being told that I you know, really needed to seriously consider the way I was training. Firstly, like I was not going to be going to that World Championships event. And secondly, I might never compete at that level again, which did, you know, has turned out to be the case at that time. I was kind of like, you know, I still wanted to get back to that. So there was still this like, okay, I'm going to take this time off because I have to, because I'm being told like for my body, for my health, this is important and I understood that and for the first time I really I committed to that like I never had before and so that meant actually stopping training and and luckily for me I think I did have that physical response in my body where I physically couldn't do the things that I used to do Mm -hmm. like I couldn't actually run because I was in so much pain I mean I couldn't really cycle I did do a little bit of swimming I think at the time Um, but then it was like no I'm actually going to stay away from the sport until I get my period back which it would have been so easy to say oh my stress fracture is healed my body is healthy now which Mm -hmm. is just not true so getting my period back that that was another decision you know it was like I'm I'm actually going to stay away from training my coach said to me don't come back (laughs) until you've got your period back which Mm. you know was was a blessing really and it took it took a really long time it took me 18 months to uh, get my first cycle and I think that was also a blessing because if I'd got my period back in the first couple of months yeah I would have gone straight back into training the way I was and it took that time and it actually took a lot longer than that for me to really work on my mindset so from there, I'd started doing yoga in my recovery, and I'd started to um, study health coaching and, and work on my mindset. And I just found all of these other parts of myself that felt a lot more important for me to focus on, which meant that, yeah, I didn't get back into training. And I've really been continuing to work on mindset and this, um, the kind of more spiritual part of myself ever since.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's a big decision to make. And it is It is really difficult because a lot of people that I know and have talked to, they're like, well, my period will come back when it's ready and I'm just going to keep training. So for you to have that awareness and be like, no, something is wrong just beyond my skeleton and my anatomy in that regard, but something's going on on a deeper, deeper level, that's really really powerful so I'm curious to know what your mental health was like when you kind of like lost this dream really because you had this passion and this drive and this focus to compete at the level that you were competing and then beyond and then to get the kind of diagnosis saying actually that's not a thing you need to stop everything what if anything happened to your mental health during that time because I can only imagine like when I think to myself when I've gotten injuries in the past my mental health has taken a big hit because I'm taken out of everything that's normal for me and taking it out of routine and it has a big impact so did you notice anything like that?
1: Yeah absolutely thanks for asking that yeah it was um not good I guess we could just yeah. say like it was um like I suppose, just even it, it feels like so long ago to me now, and that's why I also love having these conversations because it just reminds me of of the experience and in what I kind of went through on that on that journey, which was like initially the devastation of not being able to compete in that mm. one event, which in itself was like heartbreaking, right? Where it was like I you know oh. left a job, I'd I. In my terms at the time, like sacrificed so much Mm -hmm. in order to get to the place that I was in, the fitness that I was in. Um, When I think about like food and like I'd worked so hard for my body to look the way that it looked, Mm -hmm. and so beyond even, I'm not going to compete at that event. It was it was for me like really, oh my god, my body's going to change like,
0: Mm. and
1: this absolute fear around my body changing and who am I without um without this being the athlete being the fittest being the leanest being the person that people kind of like almost I suppose on some level some sort of um a lot of validation there but like admiration Mm -hmm and yeah. and really tying my identity and um, I think like what really resonates with me around self-agency was at that time my identity was so so attached to that level of training and, and fitness but also the way my body looked when I was doing that so uh, my mental health mm-hmm. suffered because of that attachment to the identity and the exercising a certain way, eating a certain way, looking a certain way, um, which, yeah. which caused me to, yeah, for a period of time be in a really, really dark place. Because one, like all of this time that I'd been spending on that, I had all of this time available now. And I, I, I like thought about this during COVID. I was like, wow, this is like almost a, For a lot of people like they're going through this experience of having all of a sudden all of the things that have made them in their mind like who they are not being able to do those and you're left with Uh, like well what value do I what value do I have like what, what do I do with myself um absolutely yeah not only like career wise like I hadn't put my focus on anything for so long other than training that there was that there was relationships that I kind of had let fall away because I'd been so strict and you know not allowing myself to go out socially and things like that Mm. Um, so there was a lot of yeah what what I suppose people call soul searching which it really and now I relate to that term in a different way because it was it was like well I need to go inside myself and figure out who I am without this and that wasn't something that I consciously automatically thought like I went to the sports doctor's office and then I was like oh I need to figure out who I am that's what I need to do yeah. it was like it wasn't like that at all right it was like a good six to eight months of of wallowing and self-pity and like mm-hmm. oh, what am I gonna do I don't have a job got a job back in a gym like probably one of the most challenging places to work when you're gaining weight and you can't train and you're helping other people to work on their health and fitness Um, but started working in a gym and just started doing things to like keep myself busy I suppose but then and then slowly the pieces of the puzzle started to come together as they do I started going to a yoga class Um, I came across coaching through a google search and really had quite little self-awareness I would say at that time and just thought I'm going to study health coaching because I'm still passionate about nutrition and I want to help my clients I'm working with in the gym on on really achieving their goals and I was really still in this weight-centric paradigm like if I can help them with their mindset around nutrition then I can actually really help them lose weight and even though I've been through this whole experience myself I didn't at that time put it together that it actually isn't about <laughs> isn't about the weight loss, um, mm. but that's how I how I started to come out of that uh, darker time in my life to find purpose and allow yeah. myself to go and continue to follow that path. Like I just continued to follow the nudges to, yeah, yeah start yeah. to do my own healing. Mm.
0: I'm struck by the similarity and hearing this across so many different people that share this type of story, this idea of not knowing how to basically grieve our past Mm. selves, you know, like it's, it is really a process of, we get so attached, like you said, attached to the career and the identity of what these things make us. And then when something changes, when something's stripped away or an injury strikes or illness or we lose someone, there's a grieving process that I don't necessarily know that we really acknowledge. Mm -hmm. And I know for myself, I didn't acknowledge it for the longest time when I went through all of these different things and kind of went through these chapters and phases. I would go through these really dark periods after and kind of do that soul searching and look in this direction and look in that direction but when I actually got down to it I was like oh I'm grieving my past self I'm grieving the girl that I was or the woman that I was Mm -hmm. or the the person that I was in that that chapter so I hear a lot of that in what you're saying and I think it's so poignant to point that out and and speak to it and give voice to the fact that We don't have to grieve external things. It's not grieving the loss of a loved one or a career. Like we can grieve ourselves in a lot of ways. Mm. And it's really beautiful to hear you say that because it's, I think it's so powerful when you can see it as a grieving process and then you can kind of find some sanity in that and say, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not Mm. broken. I'm not losing it. I'm just, I'm surrendering to this process and shifting and changing to something different and unknown and potentially so much better that I wouldn't have known before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That like funny, I just got off a call with a client before we um, started this podcast and this was absolutely coming up for her and, and we'd kind of got to the end of the session before this sort of peace came and I said I know exactly what we're doing next week like for now Mm. know that it's okay to feel what you're feeling and I'm in like the stages of grief and that was one of um, I haven't mentioned but I did start working with my own body image coach about six months into doing my studies and coaching Mm. and that was one of the most powerful when people say like what was it that really helped you move from this body dissatisfaction like where I was when I was healing when I'd stopped training and my body changed how did you you know sort of stop um you know loathing your body and wanting to be back where you were and it was mm-hmm. an exercise that we went through together on on grieving and actually allowing myself to grieve and to feel and to acknowledge that that was all yes. okay and have compassion for the pain that I was experiencing and letting go of that version of myself that I had previously held on to so tightly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, th- thank you for bringing that that forward. I think that in in any area of life where there is change, to uh, we just resist so much, right? Like the resistance, yeah, rather than the acceptance and the acknowledgments of the feelings that are there and Um, And then an opening to what might be next and what's possible from that place.
0: Yeah, because that's a big thing is like when you say that stepping into what's next and that different aspect, like when we think about the nervous system, when we think about the brain, the brain can literally not make up anything that it's never experienced before. And this is why stepping into uncertainty or unknown is so terrifying and so uncomfortable because the brain's like, I have no idea what what that could be. I don't know the threats. I don't know how to keep you safe if we step into that unknown. So we get so comfortable and we want to hang on to the past and the the known and what we can control and what's stable and feels, again, controllable. And the Mm -hmm. brain is like, okay, yep, here we're okay. And it is, it's that grief because we don't know what's to come. We don't know what's possible on the other side of it. But when we can step into it and we can say, okay, brain, I know that we don't know, but we're going to take it one step at a time and we're going to do this and we've got this and change is okay. That's when we can kind of start to move through those spaces. Really, really cool. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Oh, I was going to say control being like the operative word when we think about, um, body image and uh, restrictive eating and, and eating disorder recovery and things right is like just the the element of control that comes with that and the the fear of the unknown of the changes so yeah all exactly.
0: really related was yeah. huge so i'm curious to know what it looked like for you to then start to build this new foundation So what did it look like for you to kind of make that shift and say, okay, like things are going to be different going forward. And now I need to get to know myself. I need to know who I am without external validation or sport or this career or this next competition. I need to soul search and I need to get into me. What did it look like for you to kind of step into that new or different realm of self-agency and self-discovery?
1: Mm, I think it it's still evolving <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and will continue to at the time. Um, and so the, the sort of process, I suppose, if you'll say that I went through was working with my own coach consistently for about 10 months, just doing a lot of shedding, like, I don't you know like the the letting go aspect really has to to come first before you can completely open up to what's underneath so it wasn't piling a lot of things on top but it was peeling back these layers and understanding even having the awareness that those layers were there around Mm -hmm. like all the places that the identity gets hooked into not only um fitness but then also an awareness of like where that came from and what I was really seeking from that so Mm -hmm. um just in my experience like I grew up in uh, a family that was you know healthy but it wasn't it wasn't really rigid or anything like that but there was this kind of expectation around doing doing things and like being active and I I was a, a really good swimmer from a from a young age so I had this thing that allowed me to um, be celebrated whether that was Mm -hmm. as a child at primary school where I felt a bit like maybe um, different sometimes Mm -hmm. and like I had you know some friends that maybe I felt like I had to try and keep up with to be to be cool and to fit into the group but I always had swimming and that was always something that people would know me by Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, so there was this love this acceptance this belonging the the core uh, foundations as humans that we desire that came through exercise and then through you know my body looking the way that it did through sport Um, so there was a lot of just awareness letting go grieving um, and then as it has continued to evolve more recently, I also traveled. I went overseas for nine months. Mm. And as I was running my business and working with clients online, I, I made my way from, uh, well, Southern California to Costa Rica and kind of traveling mm. through Central America and, and being open to new experiences. So I think with, the peeling back the layers and the letting go there was like this sense of freedom that was activated within me that was like well what do I want to do you know if I <laughs> if I'm not constrained by this like you have to train 20 hours a week and you have to eat a certain way what like what's possible for me now and one mm-hmm. of the, the biggest things for me was was travel and, and travel with freedom travel with I cancelled my flight home three months in and stayed away for nine and what I wanted to eat and enjoy different cultures and found in that when you know and you you don't need to go to the other side of the world to find this but it is helpful when you're just like no one knows me no one knows my past no one knows this you know previous version of me I can be just exactly who I am as I am in this moment
0: yes yeah.
1: And so there was a real freedom that I found at the stage that I was in in my own healing journey, in doing that, and then just being open to experiences, going to cacao ceremonies, going to um, a meditation retreat for a month in Guatemala, doing metaphysics study and meditation workshops, and mm. um, yeah, just whatever kind of caught, drew me, allowing myself to follow that, like really. I'd come from this place of so much structure and so much rigidity that this was a really um, new concept, I suppose, of intuitive living almost like Mm I saw a sign for a workshop when I was in a small beach town in Mexico, you know, and and I allowed myself to go there and participate in that and, and learn something about myself. And then I met someone in a hostel who was going on a train through the Copper Canyon in Mexico. And I was like, Yeah, I want to come, Mm -hmm. and yeah, so that was like another. Yeah, what do I enjoy? What do I want to do? Who who is this this me that's kind of been locked away for so long, and now yeah, now it's like how do I bring that way of being into day to day life? And I've been back in New Zealand um, now for just over a year, and. And, and it's still going to those things. Like it's still like going to a, um, a mantra chanting session or going to a cacao ceremony or a static dance or a, um, a different type of dance that may be a little more uncomfortable for me now. Finding those edges that allow me to stretch and grow and find these different parts of myself or find like, oh, actually that was really uncomfortable for me. There was something there that, that, that almost triggered something in me that, you know, I learned mm. from that experience, or maybe I'm in this dance and I'm noticing my thoughts now of, oh, what's people thinking of me? And part of me's like, I thought I was, I thought I'd work through that, but it showed yeah. up in a different way. Cool. Now I get to continue to evolve through these different experiences and putting myself into um, new opportunities. If that mm.
0: makes sense. A long Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. There's so many gems in there. And I think it's funny how a lot of the time when I speak to people who have gone through some sort of. I don't know some people will call it a spiritual awakening or a existential crisis a midlife crisis like whatever you want to call it some type of personal change and transformation there always seems to be like eat pray love moments where they're like <laughs> throw it to the wind and i had to dive in and i really had to kind of date myself again and mm. figure myself out and I had such a similar experience when I went from like corporate marketing and oil and gas that was sucking my soul and trying to like navigate my way out of that and get out of a relationship that I thought was my forever relationship. And there was so much change. And I had a very similar moment where I was literally like booking my flight to India to do a 200 hour yoga teacher training as I'm breaking up with my partner. And I was like, I've got to go. I've got to do this. I need to get out. And it was, that was kind of that spark for me and that, that shift and change where I was like, no, I need to, I need to kind of spread my wings and actually figure out what I need. Like, who am I without that relationship, without that job, without this? Do I like ecstatic dance? Do I like cacao ceremonies? What even is Reiki? And like, you just kind of dive in. It's beautiful. It's like, it is, it's those eat, pray, love moments where you're like, okay, who am I? And I really love that you mention the moments of exploring your edges and stepping out of comfort and challenging yourself in ways that could potentially activate or trigger you. But it sounds like you're very much in a space of not only awareness now to be able to see that and notice it, but also it's kind of like a newfound sense of patience and compassion with yourself where you can say, okay. I thought I had moved through this, but without guilting and shaming myself, I'm simply going to hold space for it, allow it, notice it, and then see what comes of it. How do you think you got to that space? Because for some people, I know that those moments can be full of guilt because they're like, oh, I've worked so hard and I'm still letting that thing get to me. Or I thought I was, I thought I was more mature than this by now. And they can be a little bit more hard on themselves. So what does it look like for you to actually be in that space of noticing and just allowing it to be and not maybe feeling guilty?
1: Mm. In full transparency, like I can still be really hard on myself. And that's... Oh, you're human. That's like, yeah, that's one of the things, right? Like I came from that sporting background that was like basically disconnect from your pain like disconnect from your body and push yourself as hard as you can until you throw up Mm -hmm. and then you're celebrated and if you're not like well for me what I you know internalized was if I'm not working that hard then I'm not good enough and I'm doing something wrong all these things Mm -hmm. and the guilt around just allowing myself to have a friggin' sleep in (laughs) so it's now changed um and self-compassion has and continues to be the biggest practice that Mm -hmm. allows me to shift out of those experiences and it's not that I never have judgment or I never have guilt or I never um yeah have these destructive Mm -hmm. thoughts it's like now even I notice those and I can and almost, like, have a little laugh at myself, like, have a little, like, moment of, oh, this familiar, you know, this old yeah. familiar friend. And and with the tools that I have, gratefully now, like, bring back self-compassion, which, mm-hmm. you know, has got to start with accepting and acknowledging what is right now, whether that is an experience of guilt or whether it is noticing an old pattern or a trigger and uh like Brene Brown um talks about is like not shame spiraling not going Mm -hmm. I've noticed this trigger now I'm gonna shame myself for having that trigger now I've noticed that I'm feeling shame for the trigger and I'm gonna feel shame for having the shame (laughs) it's just like oh no um but you know that can happen too but it's again being like as soon as I can really noticing that that's there and and bringing compassion to myself and kindness and like okay this is what I'm experiencing right now and these are the feelings that are arising within me from this how can I as best as I can just love myself and love this in this moment Mm
0: -hmm. and know
1: that on a like intellectual I suppose level know that this is teaching me something this is here for my highest good I'll never receive any experience or any feeling that I'm not ready for and that I can't handle and that everything is for me rather than resistance would say like why is this or you know yeah why is this happening this shouldn't be happening there's something wrong with this there's something wrong with me versus gosh this is happening and it feels really hard but I know that this is for me and there's even if I can't find it in this moment there is a lesson or a beauty that's going to come from this Mm,
0: I love that this is happening for me and I love that you bring in that we're only going to be met with things that we can handle even how hard they seem and how not manageable they seem and overwhelming they might seem we are really only given what we can bear so I think that's a really powerful powerful reminder and it kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off and we can say okay I might not feel like I can handle it right now but maybe I just need to sleep on it and maybe tomorrow will be one percent more better and easier mm. and whatever that looks like so I love 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 that so I'm really curious to get into the work that you do, because I could just ask about who you are and all of this for days. I'm so intrigued. (laughs) There's so much goodness. But I really want to explore this idea of shifting the mindset away from weight loss and towards this more balanced and maybe compassionate look at body image and self-respect and self-love and what does it actually mean for you to shift a mindset around weight loss because it's I would say as a nutritionist and as a nutritionist that focuses on trauma-informed approaches to nutrition and getting into the root of what caused maybe a imbalanced relationship with food or a more negative relationship with food it's such a complex thing. It's the relationship we have with food and the relationship we have with our bodies. There's so much complexity and difference from person to person and weight to it. Like no pun intended, but there's a gravity to it. And I'm really curious to know what it means for you to work with people in that arena now. So when you're working with a client or... You're in that space of talking about weight loss and body image and relationship with food. what's the biggest shift that you've noticed in yourself that you can then share with your clients or share with the people that you work alongside? Mm.
1: <laughs> well, just like it's yeah it is complex as you say so I've got a couple of things that I can share on this and and how I work mm-hmm. with people because like you said it's so individual and the root, like, one of my biggest passions is not just saying, like, uh, you know, eat all the things, or just give yourself freedom, like, there is this portion of intuitive eating, which I'll talk about in a moment, but there's also, like, on a mindset and subconscious belief level, that mm-hmm. deeper root cause of, like, why why is someone feeling the need to shrink their bodies to this extreme or control food to this extreme and really getting down to the beliefs that they have about themselves and about what will be possible, what they you know, believe will be possible for them at the size that they're not allowing or believing is possible for them now and really peeling, like like I talked about, a lot of this just is you know similar to what I shared in my story of of peeling back those layers of where those beliefs came from, and and when was the first time that they decided that their body was wrong, like who yeah. you know who kind of maybe it was a, a message that they received quite. Um, directly about themselves or maybe it was something that they internalized from the way that they saw other people interacting with their bodies or the messages of the media and things like that. So I go into that into quite a, a big mm-hmm. way to help do some subconscious belief reprogramming for the technical term. Yeah. But um, on more of a, I guess, physical level, intuitive eating is the the process of reconnecting with your own internal guidance when it comes to food knowing that you have the agency right, the choice, Mm -hmm. the free will to choose whatever it is that you like without guilt, without shame, without um, rules and so there's this breaking up with the initial part of that work is breaking up with diet culture which is the messages around, um, yeah, like our bodies, the way they should look, but also the good and bad and black and white thinking when it comes to food. So, food mentality and, and diet mentality is a big part of that. Of like, I, you know, I have clients that will say, "Oh, I, I was hungry, but I didn't eat because I'd only eaten two hours before." You know, that would be a sign of a diet mentality rule for me that we could begin to work on to say, like, you know let's honor your hunger and and honoring your hunger means whenever like whenever you're hungry regardless of what you had two hours ago or if you just ate 30 minutes ago and and actually that wasn't enough and you're still hungry that Mm. that portion size that diet culture might have told you was enough for your body is actually not enough for your body because your body's still telling you it's hungry so um, lots of little things like that around uh, making peace with food and and becoming in tune with your body, what feels good for you. And and in order to to find what feels good, I, I really do think there has to be a period of time of giving yourself full permission to just explore all foods. And, you know, if that means that for someone who's highly restricted foods in the past, they only eat pasta for a week and pizza and whatever, like, that's okay and that mm-hmm. and that will allow this trust to be built between the body and the mind again that that food is safe and that food is not going to go anywhere and that allows for, for that intuition to come back of like oh I do actually think I've had enough of the pasta now and as nice as it was my body's actually telling me that it really would like something else be it you know mm-hmm. a salad or um, you know meat and veggies or <laughs> burger or whatever but you know then there's like oh and the past is still available when I choose that as well
0: and I just mm-hmm. use that
1: as a as an example that maybe a client's had but um yeah so the intuitive eating piece the mindset um, and then we get into the body image work because inevitably what comes up in this process like I shared in, in my story as well is like the fear of like, but if I eat this way, is my body going to change, and what is that going to mean about me? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then there's the deeper bit of work around, yeah, what is it going to mean about you? And most people will come to some place of, it's going to mean that I'm a failure, it's going to mean that I'm not going to be loved, it's going to mean that, you know, like all of these mm-hmm. con- really conditioned, deep, ingrained. Um, beliefs that come through diet culture and this stigma that is within the society of um, being in a larger body and whatever that means for you you know for someone like myself who was an athlete being in a larger body is still being in a societally I'm just doing air quotation marks a societally Mm -hmm. acceptable body right but Mm -hmm. then for other people that's like looking at weight, you know, just moving away from this idea of anything being right and wrong and like the way that our society constructs body image can be so, so harmful and so detrimental that yeah, that's where this fear really comes from. And that's a huge part of the work is overcoming the fear of weight gain or what a lot of um the work around health at every size and intuitive eating would call fat phobia. Mm. Watches, like a big
0: yeah <laughs> big conversation yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's a big big part of it is because it's not even like it's it's thrown at us every day every direction that we look size mm. zero size this size that eat this way to look better and, like there's just so much like media and what we see in movies and what we see on Instagram and Facebook. And like, it's literally everywhere. And I do think there are some companies and some organizations that are doing good work to try and change that, to try and change the messaging that we're sent, but it's insidious. It's everywhere. It's so prevalent. So what would you say to someone who? who maybe knows that they don't have the healthiest relationship with their body image, who maybe doesn't love the way that they look or is constantly thriving and striving to be something different than what they are. Do you have maybe like a top three suggestions of where to start? Like, is it affirmations? Is it... I don't even know self-talk like is there a top three that you have that you would say to somebody okay start with these Mm -hmm. and let's start to try and heal this relationship that you have with either your body or your body image
1: yeah cool I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to this letting go piece um because I think as a as a framework and and what I use in my coaching business as well is that in order to transform and to open up to something new, we we really do need to let go of the old. I'm I'm going to start in the physical rather than letting go of belief. Mm -hmm. That's part of it. But really looking like what you just mentioned, you know, we are bombarded with these messages, but we actually do have more control than we often allow Mm -hmm. ourselves around that. So, you know, if you are struggling with the way that you're feeling about your body, I would I would ask what it is that you're absorbing that's continuing to exacerbate that for you. So, you know, are you constantly looking at fitness models or um, dieting magazines or um, following people on Instagram that promote highly restrictive diets or only one size body image or something like that. Mm. And, starting to take responsibility for your external environment because our external environment has such a huge effect on our internal environment and mindset. Um, So there's, when you say that, I'm like, I know that it's true. I know that it's everywhere. I know that these messages are everywhere. But honestly, in my life, I I feel like, wow, health at every size is winning. Like everyone's doing body positive stuff. This is great. But that's because that is literally what I surround myself with. Um, And so calling like surround sound your life, like I bring that into my Instagram feed, into what I read, into what I listen to. Um, And for anyone listening, I have, um, I think you'll pop a link to my Instagram. In my Instagram bio link tree, there is a resource list for anyone who wants to explore some of these things a little bit further So I would begin by starting to clear out your, yeah, clear out your environment of, yeah, be that your social media. Who are you following? Who is causing you to feel like your body's not good enough? Like you need to diet, like you need to lose weight, like you need to punish yourself. Um, Start to take responsibility for that. And you can, you know, mute, remove, do whatever you need to do. Look at the books that you're reading. If you're constantly looking at images that are, Um, in that same realm whether it's magazines or whatever you can start to clear out those and then jump over to my Instagram find that resource list and and you can there's a whole lot of Instagram accounts on there there's a whole lot of Mm -hmm. um, blogs and Mm -hmm. other podcasts and things as well things that I've listened to that really supported me that you can start to begin to absorb that will give you even more tools and resources Um, and then Yeah, and then this really powerful exercise of body gratitude. So Mm. once you've started to like clear some of the clutter, so to speak, around that, you can... What we're conditioned into, right, is our external appearance being our number one, you know. That's the most important thing about us. Mm. And we so often see our body and see what we look like Versus what our body allows us to do. And yes. when we, even if we don't, because this is a hard one for a lot of people, right? They're like, I don't like my body at all. And you're telling me that I'm going to start loving it. Like, that sounds crazy. I yeah. can't even imagine that. Or they might even be like, there's no way I can accept, I can't even accept my body the way it is now. And yeah. And these are all stepping stones, so you wouldn't tell Mm. someone to go from, yeah, like you're going to go from hating your body to loving your body in the next four weeks, like diet culture would tell you, or whatever, like that sort of message, but instead, you can begin to practice being grateful for the things that your body allows you to do on a daily basis. And even if you don't like the physical appearance of your body right now, that's totally okay. You know, so much compassion for yourself. And what is that part of your body allowing you to do? What experience of life is that part of your body giving you? It might be as simple as, you know, instead of looking at your arms and being like, what you might normally go to, just for example, might be like, oh my arms aren't as toned as I would like them to be or there's this bit of saggy skin hanging down here that shouldn't be there or whatever right you you go and you bring awareness to that okay I notice that that's showing up for me again we're not trying to deny um, judge bring shame to that it's just like that is there and wow thank you arms today you allowed me to hug these people that I loved you allowed me to pick up my children. You allowed me to carry my groceries. Um, maybe you do physical work for a job. So your arms really like help you lift things or whatever it is, right? You can find something for every single part of your body. And, you know, for women, the stomach is always one that comes up in, in my clients. And in myself, it was like, oh, oh, this is happening. And so it's like, yeah, like I acknowledge that this is something that society has conditioned me into believing you know and, and you know that's that's okay that's something that i've been conditioned into it's not my truth and while i'm on this healing journey i can be so grateful that my stomach allows me to digest food and that this area of my body maybe has given birth or has the potential to give birth that it's the place that i find my deepest internal wisdom like it gives me some Mm -hmm. guidance um, that it's just such a place of of infinite power and and possibility and and creation and and birth and I think like when we look at our parts of our body with this wonder and this sense of wow it's actually really incredible that like just my heart is beating every Mm. second of every day and I've not given it a second thought I've never even been grateful for my heart like and if you can go to sleep with that every single night and wake up with that every single morning you'd actually be surprised how your perception of your body starts to shift without even focusing on the physical at that moment
0: Mm. oh my god everything about that I'm just doing this like little happy dance over here and as you were saying those words it was like I kind of like had my hands on my body and I was like, yeah, actually like when's the last time we had a conversation? When's the last <laughs> time that I told you how amazing you are rather than all the things that I wish you could do or that I wish mm-hmm. you were. I, that was just, yes, so much. Yes. in that, and thank you so much for sharing that insight and that, that moment of pause to actually have gratitude for these these incredible bodies that move us through life and do all these incredible things and if that's the one place we start we're in a pretty good we're in a pretty good shape that's really really wonderful I have one last question that I want to ask you I actually have a million questions that <laughs> I want to ask you. I could talk to you for seven hours but I want to respect your time So I have one last question and it's my favorite one because you can literally take this however you want. It doesn't have to be in regards to your profession or what's happening in the world today. Like you can take this in any way that you want. And I just love where people take it. So when you think of the world as a whole right now and everything that's occurring has occurred and will occur, if there was one big norm that you could disrupt or one big change that you could make what would it be and why
1: <sighs> it's so funny how you like think I thought I knew how I was gonna answer this like of what I do obviously like around bodies and it would be about reclaiming our work from our bodies and, and that is important and as like a big big picture it would be that in everything that we do and in in our interactions we could come from love
0: Mm. and if
1: if the mindset on a collective level that we shifted was from fear to love then actually that would change all of this that we've been talking about anyway so it's like (sighs) Like I said earlier, you know, we're, everything is happening for us. And if we come from that lens, everything is happening for us. How can we love ourselves, love our experience, know that, so this is going to go really deep and far, but it's like if we knew who we were, like if we really knew who we were, not not our bodies, not our labels, not our identities, Mm. If we knew our power, if we knew our our magnificence and the love that we have available and within us and that we actually are in every moment and in every interaction, and we made our choices and we had our life experiences and our interactions and our relationships and, and even our, our struggles and our conflicts from that place. Mm how different the world would be and that might sound a little bit eerie fairy like but it it its essence I think what it is is it's we are to for people to come back to themselves, meaning come back to the truth of who you are at your core, which really is love, which really is limitlessness possibility expansiveness joy rather than the conditioning with which we have put on us from the structures of society which is so based upon fear and not enoughness and the the need to change something about ourselves
0: mm.
1: um, yeah I'll leave oh. it there
0: <laughs> yes I just love everything about that. Because you're right, if we could make that shift from fear-based reactions or emotional reactions and could shift back into that space of unconditional love and coming from a space of our truest essence and our highest good and acting from that place, can you imagine how magical the world would be? Oh my god, that's a world
1: that I want to live in. Yeah, yeah, I do I do try and imagine that as much as possible, at least in my ah. yeah, in my own world. And I think that's something that that we could all do with practicing more is imagining and mm. feeling feeling that. Like not just imagining it, but like feeling what that would feel like in our own bodies and in our mm. own experience and you know, like the saying goes, be the change that we want to see in the world. So yeah.
0: bringing that first
1: into our own into our own experience.
0: I love that. The power of the thoughts. So, so good. Oh my gosh, Sarah, thank you so much. I am so beyond grateful for this conversation. There was so much vulnerability and honesty and such little nuggets of wisdom dropped throughout. I'm going to have to re-listen to this for my own benefit a million times and soak <laughs> that up all over again. And for those of you who are as obsessed with Sarah as I am now, you can find all of the links to her Instagram, her Facebook, her website. That'll all be in the episode description. I just think everyone needs a little bit more of you in their life. And whether that's coaching, mm-hmm. whether that's following you on social media, all of the above I am here for it and so so excited to see what you do so thank you so much for your time Sarah
1: mm, thank you so much and thank you for those beautiful words I'm I'm beaming and yeah thank you to all of you beautiful souls who have listened I'm so excited to continue this conversation mm-hmm.
0: so much for listening and if there's anything anything at all that you want to explore or you have ideas about and want to get into please please drop me a line you can find us at the self-agency advocate on both facebook and instagram and i would absolutely love to chat so let's connect